0: Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We're joined today by the host of the French Village Podcast, Sarah Longwell. Sarah, thanks for coming back on the podcast.
1: Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me on.
0: I mean, this is your new claim to fame now, the, the, the French Village. You threatened to do this for a long time. And I feel then like you you're at, making at, fun of me. No, I'm not making fun of you. <laughs> it's like we all have our different identities. What are we going to be known for? You know, I could have said, Sarah Longwell, notorious cat woman.
1: You could have. You I could, could, but I.
0: But I you uh, could have
1: promoted my, the Secret Podcast, the other I, one I do no, for the Bulwark.
0: That's right. The the secret, but that's secret. It's true. If, if, by the way, you're a member of Bulwark Plus, you have access to the Secret Podcast, the Next Level Podcast. Um, I think the French Village Podcast is though is is available. So I bring the French Village up because um, I'm, we're about to finish the the third season of Hinterland, which we watched after Broadchurch, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I'm going to need something new. I, I need a new series. And so- I'm
1: telling you, Charlie, it's the good stuff. Go watch the French Village podcast, and then you can listen mm-hmm. to me and Ben Wittes on mm-hmm. our on our Bulwark podcast. We, we break down two episodes every week, and I'm, it, is the, it is the greatest meditation on complicity. It has, it has ties into contemporary politics in many ways. The idea of this assault on truth and the way that, that people rally around a lie, you will find it, I think, extremely relevant.
0: No, I, it would. I'm I'm just intimidated by the number of episodes. Well, maybe I shouldn't be because if there's like 78 – that's not a joke, right? There's like 78 episodes?
1: Maybe like 82, yeah. Oh,
0: okay, 80. And so it, it's going to last for a long time. Um, the, the, There's an advantage to that. Some of the British shows are really good, but they have like four episodes a season. And so you can kind of run through them as opposed to, say, The West Wing – which what had about like five hundred episodes. So if you wanted to binge on The West Wing, you could, you know, it gets you through pretty much the entire year. So
1: yeah, I think this got French Village got me through the pandemic.
0: Okay, so I'm obsessed with a number of things, um, including that the the, the Biden Carter picture. Have you seen this? <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I I, I kind of know that. You know, as as you as you you know become more elderly, you 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 might you know lose a little bit of height. You might, but that picture, I I have I've stared at it over and over again, thinking, okay, is it was the lens the photographer used? Or was it the perspective? Um, am I looking at the real picture as opposed to the many 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 Photoshop pictures? If people don't know what I'm talking about, the Bidens visited the Carters, Jimmy Carter, um, in in uh, in Georgia down in the Plains. And they have a picture that was released by the Carter Museum, and I would say, Sarah, you correct me here. Um, the Bidens look huge next to the Carters. <laughs> I yeah. mean,
1: you know. Joe Biden is somehow kneeling, but his head is still hitting the ceiling. I, I don't know what's going on. It, <laughs> it looks like they visited the Shire. The Shire.
0: Yeah, somebody – I think it was Ala Pundit who tweeted out that uh, the Carter's uh, final advice to uh, to, the, to uh, Joe Biden was follow the Yellowbrook Road, Oh, which was uh, – I don't know. So let's talk about uh, Kevin McCarthy this morning. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is making news, the, the House leader. Um, and since people probably can tell I'm backing into all of this because we have some heavy stuff to do today, so I'm backing into it. What do you make of this strange fight? Uh, between Kevin McCarthy and Tucker Carlson, I, I, I hesitate to raise Tucker Carlson again, even though we 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 are going to be using the Tucker Carlson evil laugh as a regular feature on the podcast from now on. <laughs> that is a, that is actually um, Tucker Carlson's laugh. So he went off on Kevin McCarthy last night because it turns out that Kevin McCarthy has been, you know, rooming with pollster Frank Luntz. This is what Tucker had to say.
2: Luntz. Luntz lobbies, he's not a registered lobbyist, but he lobbies on behalf of some of the world's most left-wing corporations. A lot of people do that. Here's the interesting thing about Frank Luntz. At the same time he's doing that, he also advises the leadership of the Republican Party. So Frank Luntz works for Google and Nike and Delta Airlines, among many others. Several years ago, Frank Luntz advised the makers of OxyContin Mm. on how to blame rural Americans as thousands of young people in rural America drop dead of opioid ODs. Frank Luntz did that. So he's not someone that normal people would go to for advice. And if you were running the Republican Party, you definitely wouldn't, because Frank Luntz is effectively a Democrat. We know this. Because we've listened to him. Now, Luntz typically launders his own opinions through the pseudoscientific focus groups that he conducts. But in real life, his views, make no mistake, bear no resemblance whatsoever to the views of actual Republican voters.
0: And then he goes on to say that Kevin McCarthy has been sh- bunking out with Frank Luntz. Well, okay, Sarah, explain all this to me. First of all, I mean, Politico is saying that this, this information was leaked. To Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson has now spent two consecutive shows, I think, or at least two different shows, going after the Luntz-McCarthy tie. Um, wh- so wh- 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 why is there a target on Frank Luntz's back? Why is Tucker Carlson going after Kevin McCarthy right
1: now? I mean, my only guess is that you know anti-establishment is the religion now certainly of the, like, pundit entertainment class of sort of the Fox News primetime. And so I guess that's Kevin McCarthy uh, is – I mean, even though Kevin McCarthy, of course, um, is basically – you know, falling on his sword for the most, you know, quote-unquote anti-establishment uh, yeah. Republican in existence. So, like, I just think they're but spinning not. out into this universe where um, – and it's, it's – I mean, this attack on Frank Luntz and it was really – Tucker's – you know, you can hear the audio there, but the visual is he's got them on bunk beds in, like, PJs together. Like, yeah. he's – you know, and so this idea that they are – my guess is that they're not quite sharing a room, um, but it is a – it is a such a weird thing for Tucker to be like obsessed with on his show. He's Frank obsessed Luntz, with it. I'm not sure what Frank Luntz like did to Tucker's Cheerios that makes him so focused on this. Other than because the fact is, I mean, Frank Luntz has been advising the Republican Party for decades by yeah. doing research and helping with messaging. He's the one who came up with the idea of a death tax uh, to frame uh, to frame how um, the, the the taxation on inheritance. Uh, and so, you know, he's been helping the Republican Party message for decades. But but Tucker has like weirdly decided that he is, you know, Hunter Biden level of enemy for the show. and um, And just because he's done very well advising the Republicans and big companies hire him now to also, you know, apply his trade he's now effectively a Democrat I guess
0: yeah but this is not really about Luntz, is it I mean it's really about Kevin McCarthy and going after Kevin McCarthy for bunking out with him and you know Kevin McCarthy is obviously is is, is carrying water for you know Tucker and and Trump and everything As you say he's falling on his sword maybe he's not falling on his sword fast enough so apparently McCar- McCarthy confirmed this now and says now he sleeps on the office couch uh, this was a long time ago he doesn't do it but it's it's just, it's weird it's just one of those sort of pointless stories except for kind of the inside game who's you know who's holding the dagger that they're sticking in Kevin McCarthy's back not that I mind that so Kevin McCarthy is making it pretty clear that yeah they they are going to go they will be going ahead uh with purging Liz Cheney Liz Liz Cheney who uh is not backing down is not shutting up uh continues to say that uh The big lie is a defining moment. Uh, She's not willing to uh, retcon or memory hole January 6th. And in case there's any doubt about how this is going, this was Kevin McCarthy this morning on Fox News.
2: There are a number of reports out right now, Leader uh, McCarthy, that some of your allies are saying we're unhappy with her in leadership because she voted to impeach President Trump and now they're vowing a vote to get rid of her. What can you tell us about that? No, there's no concern about how she voted on impeachment. That decision has been made. I have heard from members concerned about her ability to carry out the job as conference chair, to carry out the message. We all need to be working as one if we're able to win the majority. Remember, majorities are not given, they are earned.
0: Okay, so I'm sorry that, that was that was me in the background going bullshit. You know, it's nothing to do with the impeachment. So yes, we 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 have to get rid of her because that's how we get unified. Uh, so that's why we have to purge the highest ranking woman. So, Sarah, you've been all over this. This story of Liz Cheney is is remarkable. I mean, it, it's almost a cartoon version of what we've been talking about. That Marjorie Taylor Greene is in good standing. Um, and, and Matt Gaetz is in good standing and they're, and they're about to throw, uh, Liz Cheney over the side.
1: Yeah, but I actually take McCarthy at his word here, uh, because here's what's happening. The Republicans have decided that telling the lie that the election was stolen (laughs) is an essential element to them getting a majority in the house. The 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 lie of this was stolen from us and that's why you need to turn out. That's why we need to pass all these bills around. Um, I'm going to do some air quotes, Mm -hmm. election integrity. Uh, And so Liz Cheney is, in fact, off message for Republicans, because if you don't if you say this isn't true, your guy actually lost, um, then not only is it a direct affront to Donald Trump's Pathology and narcissism, in which he could never possibly lose an election, but it is not the message that they are carrying forward uh, for both 2022 and 2024, uh, which is very much this election was stolen from us. And and talking, doing focus groups and talking to Republican voters, uh, you know, there's a there's a symbiotic relationship between the elected officials and the voters. But if you recall, right after the election. Republican voters, the number of them that thought that the election was stolen wasn't terribly high. But what happened was these elected officials, they decided to buy into it. You know, there's a tape of Kevin McCarthy from shortly after the election um, saying that Donald Trump won this election. It was stolen from him. And don't be quiet about it. Uh, and and so this has become it's not just an affront to the truth. It's an affront to them. Right. It's it's like they're all naked. In the parade, Uh, they're all the emperor uh, and they all have to agree that we're going to tell this lie together. And the entire Republican Party is kind of in cahoots about it. And she's the one person standing there saying, you're all naked. None of you have clothes on.
0: This is this is a remarkable moment, even after all the remarkable moments that, that we've had and and. It appears that then if, if, in fact, we take him at his word on this, which I'm a little bit more reluctant to do, but uh, yeah, she's, she's clearly out of sync with, with the party, that what they really want her to do is just shut up. Okay, so yeah. y- you, you've done what you've done, but but you know, could you not say anything? And most of the other uh, members of the House who voted to impeach have really not had a lot to say about it, and yet Liz Cheney will not shut up. I mean, she continues. She tweeted out yesterday, you know, this was the big lie. She pushed back against uh, the former guy himself. And then we have this report from CNN that, uh, that uh, Liz Cheney said that her party cannot accept the poison of the idea the 2020 election was stolen and should not whitewash the Capitol riot. Here is the direct quote: "We c- we can't embrace the notion the election is stolen. It is a poison in the bloodstream uh, bloodstream of our democracy. We cannot whitewash what happened on January sixth or perpetuate Trump's big lie. It is a threat to democracy. What he did on January sixth is a line that cannot be crossed. I mean, she is, I you know, I mean, I look, I I I don't want to be a fanboy here, but I am." R- r- her guts in pushing back on this, uh, knowing that if she gives one more interview or puts out one more tweet, it might be enough to push her, you know, over that line, and they're going to throw her out of leadership position. And she just she's all out of fucks to give. She just didn't doesn't care, does she?
1: It is the most glorious thing to watch, and it I is. think for people like us who really really wanted some people to do this, you know, yeah. three or four years ago, who were just desperate for somebody to say it, and. Not just because we didn't like Donald Trump and thought he was a threat to democracy that we did. It was because you felt like you were taking crazy pills, and so just having somebody tell the truth is this—it's this incredible flood of relief. There's like a psych, you know—a psychological effect of having somebody say the thing that you know is true. But I just want to just to just to underscore what she's doing here. She is at the AEI conference, so she is talking to. All the Republican donors. She's talking directly to Paul Ryan. I would love for somebody who who is leaking the things that happened there to tell me what Paul Ryan's response was to what she was doing. Because as as our colleague Amanda Carpenter tweeted out yesterday, uh, Liz Cheney is out there taking all of these risks, saying, "I don't, will I'll, I'll give up my number three position." That guy was that guy was in charge. Yep, and he just walked off the field. And, and so I wonder what he, what he feels like sitting next to this woman who for the good of the country, she has really nothing to gain from it, uh, except and a lot genuinely. to lose. And the thing is she could do what he did. Cause what he did wasn't, wasn't, um, you know, he didn't become a Trump cheerleader. He clearly hated Donald Trump and he kind of murmured occasionally, uh, against him, but then he just left and she's saying, if you're going to, if I'm going to go you're gonna have to throw me out. And I'm not gonna cause she, she too could just kind of rein it in. That's what they want from her. They're like, just stop, just stop talking. Like, pretend like the rest of us. We're all doing an act here. Join in, be on the team. And she is saying the stakes are too high on this one. I am not gonna do it. And that's why they're mad at her. And and so it's just every time somebody though does this, I always I think that cowardice is contagious. Um, but bravery can be contagious too. Uh, and and look, she may. Uh, I think I think cowardice has really defined the Republican Party now for a while. It's clearly too deep in them, but but she could galvanize uh, not the Republican base, but enough some part of the Republican Party that does want to move on from this. And I think that for a while here, we've been saying there is no civil war. In the Republican Party, mm-hmm. um, look, they're all just in Trump's thrall. But she could actually be the general <laughs> in that civil war, uh, and I'm here for it.
0: Yeah, it, it it is it's not irrelevant that her name is Cheney, and it's not irrelevant that Mitt Romney used to be the uh, Republican nominee for president, um, and it's not irrelevant that that somebody with the name of McCain is speaking out about this. But but let's go back to this point about this AEI uh, r- retreat, and she's talking with Paul Ryan. So here's an interesting data point. Apparently, Liz Cheney's uh, pushback against the big lie has not been mentioned on Fox News uh, f- at all. They're they completely ignoring it. Have you seen that? They have not even mentioned her name, at least according to one report. Um, you know, since since they went after the fist bump with with Joe Biden, so she's sitting there. With Paul Ryan, who is supporting her, by the way, who also came out of the shadows and issued a statement uh, about the the insurrection, uh, and also said that you know definitive the election was was not stolen, she's sitting there telling that to Paul Ryan, and Paul Ryan continues to sit on the Fox Corporation board, and Oliver Darcy from CNN pointed this out. He said, Ryan sits on the Fox Corporation board and has stood by by silently as the company's right-wing talk channel first pushed the big lie and now allows its stars to whitewash the Capitol Hill attack. When will he speak out about the rhetoric that he is quite literally profiting off of? And that is literally. I think he makes more than three hundred thousand dollars just sitting on the Fox board, which, by the way, is good work if you if, if you can get it. But to your point, Sarah, you do wonder what he's thinking. He's looking at this incredibly courageous woman doing what he had failed to do, and essentially challenging everybody else. If you believe, if you know what the truth is, say the truth. I'm willing to say the truth. Are you willing to say the truth? So I don't know what 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 he's, what uh, what Paul Ryan's going to say. What he's going to do.
1: Well, I suspect nothing. I mean, I, 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 I he's had a great many opportunities um, over the last five years, and I don't think, uh, I don't think he said much of anything. And I'll tell you, sometimes when it comes to like my my disappointment in a politician is always directly proportional to the esteem with which I had previously held them. And so if you're, you know, I'm I'm 41. And so there's this period of time in which I looked at somebody like Paul Ryan and I was like, yes, I am interested in what this guy's doing. Oh, like, yeah. This guy's the future of the Republican Party. Obviously, was I Ronan's. was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. And, yeah. and and it was it was like a it was an interesting time. That that was the pivot point in where we thought the the, the party was gonna go. Um, and instead uh, obviously, it went in the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Donald Trump direction, and it got to do it because a bunch of people like Paul Ryan just stood down, and that's that's the thing. I mean, it's always it is it is wonderful when somebody speaks up and tells the truth, but one of the things that it does is it illuminates the silence of all the others, and and as much as it's nice to hear george w bush speak out now on immigration it's i welcome his voice back to the back to this conversation there are so many people who have stood down yeah and 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 with less to lose than liz cheney right now so much less to lose
0: no, I so you you make the point that this is consequential and I and I agree. Look, I go way back with with Paul Ryan and when I wrote my book, you know, How the Right Lost Its Mind in Chapter 1, I know it's become kind of a cliché now to quote Yates, but you know, the, the line the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. I mean, I was I, I was thinking of him when I when I wrote that. So, can I tell you something confidentially, not not for public uh d- you know, dissemination?
1: Your podcast, bud.
0: Yeah, okay, no, I um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think it's time to call Paul Ryan out a little bit on on this on his role with Fox, because I think that this is one of those if if not now then when moments for him. So I'm actually writing that up, just so you know. So it's gonna I'm gonna do that in the next couple of days, but I, I, uh, I don't want to have a I don't have a spoiler alert on that. So just oh, just oh
1: oh oh, you really like you're cutting this part?
0: No, I'm not cutting this part.
1: Oh, <laughs> I can't tell. So, so it's not a secret. Okay, so. <laughs>
0: Shtick. (laughs) Yeah, it's like for just the listener, just for you, Sarah, and the listeners of the podcast. Just kind of a heads up, spoiler alert. I may be writing an open letter to my friend Paul Ryan saying, "Paul, this is the moment. You know, your legacy's not set. History's not done with you. You can. You know what's going on. You know, and all of the." All of the problems that he faced, you know, when he was speaker, you know, all of the the basis for the rationalization and the bargain he made with, with Trumpism, that they, they don't apply anymore. Uh, you know, he he's not he's not the speaker. He doesn't have a majority to lose. He doesn't have to keep the crazies in, in, in line. He's not running for anything right now. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he really likes the the, the big fat, you know, Rupert Murdoch paycheck, but there comes a moment if if the over racism of Fox News um, is not a bright line. If spreading the big lie, which is to democracy, isn't a bright line. If downplaying the riot isn't a bright line. If the you know vaccine denialism, um, you, you know, uh, disinformation that may actually cost human lives. If that's not the bright line, then what would the bright line be? What are you waiting for? You know, it's that's the
1: thing though. though. This is the thing for Paul Ryan. And this is why I just don't first of all, I love this idea of you doing it because I know that you know him. Um, and also because I remember one of the pieces that you wrote early on was kind of a it was like a speech for the person who was gonna challenge Donald Trump. And that that was something that stuck with me, and I thought it was incredibly effective and thoughtful. I wish somebody had like given that speech. Um, so I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you're doing it. But The thing about the bright lines is that if Paul Ryan were to turn his head around and look behind him, he would see nothing but bright line after bright line uh, after I know. bright line. I know. Um, and, and so I, what is the, and, and, and here's the thing is that I know you think it's the, or, or we talk about like, well, it's the big paycheck from the sitting on the board. I'm not sure at the end of the day that it's not just not wanting to go to the grocery store and have someone yell at you. Like I think these guys, they just you know they live in places where Trump is popular, and again they keep their heads down out of to to avoid any mild inconvenience or um, confrontation that might be. Uh, I think that's and I just think that's that's what it is, and it's a kind of pathetic social pressure. Um, and we you know,
0: know what that is, right? We no, felt that. We, uh, no, we see. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love living in the middle of the country where I don't have to put up with all that. But, you know, I, when you, when you mentioned that I was thinking of, look, Lindsey Graham has had a lot of reasons for caving in, but remember that one moment where he broke up, it, he sounded like he was going to break up with Donald Trump on January 7th. And and then he got yelled at in the airport. And from that moment, he was back. It was like, okay, I don't want to be yelled at in the grocery store. Or in the airport, and he was back. So, what do you think? Um, are they going to go ahead? Or are they actually going to pull the trigger on Liz Cheney?
1: I mean, it sounds like they are. Two days yeah. ago, I probably would have said no. They already had this vote. Like, why would they do it again? But and and also, I mean, my hunch has been that she can survive these. Um, yeah. You know, because I think if I there's know. one thing we know about Republicans in Congress, it's that. <laughs> there's a there's a silent majority <laughs> that is uh, or or I don't know about a silent majority, but there's a there's a big group of people who are just keeping their heads down uh, who would vote to defend her. Um, I mean, she that was a lopsided vote the last go around. Um, but I do wonder. I, I guess I still kind of think she would sur- survive it, but I don't think McCarthy would hold it if they didn't think that this would knock her out.
0: Yeah, no, I I think, I think I think you're exactly right. Um uh woke Joe Walsh keeps saying that she's she's done there's no way because this party has just moved on uh that there is no civil war about all of this, but it's a uh, it's a pretty dramatic it's a pretty dramatic step. See what I find also I- ironic about this is that Kevin McCarthy is is arguing that well, the problem is that we need to be united, we need to be talking about issues not personality and yet if they go ahead, uh, you know, and take Liz Cheney to the guillotine. What what are we going to be talking about other than attacking one another and personalities rather than substance? Not to mention the fact that here you have the former guy, you know, sitting down there in Mar-a-Lago, you know, dropping bombs, uh, you know, insulting people, and yet somehow McCarthy is suggesting that the the only person who needs to be stripped of their position is is Liz is Liz Cheney. I mean, it's, it it does make your head hurt. You you saw you know, Yeah.
1: Well I no, you just made a really great point that I didn't I, I need to think through a little bit, but from just a just from public relations standpoint, like the last thing Kevin McCarthy needs is another fight and consuming battle in which Liz Cheney's getting tossed and what Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are fine. Like Matt Gates is under investigation for child sex trafficking. There's like bombshell story after bombshell story trickling out. And Kevin McCarthy wants to hold a vote on Liz Cheney. Uh and and I I just like that is a he's moving towards a civil war there. Well, I and mean, he's creating the- his own headache.
0: Well, this is what's weird, and I want to talk to you about. You have a you have a piece up about uh, the Biden spending plan from the Republican point of view. They have their talking points now right now, they could be pushing back on a number of things they should be talking about the they could be talking about the border they could be talking about the you know six trillion dollars spending plan they could be talking about a lot of different things, and yet right now they're talking about let's take Liz Cheney and you know make her an example for you know what happens when you speak truth when you uh push back against the big lie because we don't want people to be engaging in any sort of divisiveness like. The former guy who issued a statement yesterday, so nice to see rhino Mitt Romney booed off the stage at the Utah Republican State Convention. By the way, fact check, he was not booed off the stage. Um, Then he goes on. They are among the earliest to have figured this guy out a stone cold loser exclamation point. Great.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Remember when this guy was the effing president?
1: I do. I mean, I've seen these like tweet statements that are coming out. I, I, one of them looks like the middle fell out of it somewhere, like the grammar in it is so bad. Um, but it is it is astonishing, even having lived through it, to read these statements and think that that person uh, was the president. But, but to your point about um, Joe Biden's spending plan and what Republicans could be doing, there's an alternate universe uh, where Joe Biden's talking about trillions and trillions of dollars and the Republican Party is united around... Uh, it's bread and butter issues, which are, this is too much spending. Uh, this is going to cripple us with the debt and the deficit. Like we are the adults in the room. L- you know, Democrats just want to spend their way into oblivion and give you goodies to bribe you to voting for them. But we are here as adults to say, you know, we need to have some fiscal restraint. Uh, like there's a, the, the easy messaging play is there for Republicans, uh, but they can't find it for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is they're going through an identity crisis, uh, where they say that they are the blue collar and, you know, we're the, we're the jeans and beer party now, right? Like we are going to go after corporations and Marco Rubio is going to support the unions And they're, they're going through this process where they don't really know who they are. And so as a result, they don't know how to combat Joe Biden's big spending, because they don't really want to be against a bunch of the things that are going to like, they're basically all fighting over the the middle the the blue collar worker right now like there's an all out brawl for who gets to say they own those voters and Democrats are trying to do it with a ton of spending and Republicans are trying to do it with culture war grievance um type things but it's making the Republicans' response totally asymmetric like Joe Biden does all this spending and Republicans say Mister Potato Head Doctor Seuss and so part of the reason I think Kevin McCarthy gets mired down in these and battles within his own caucus is because they don't know what else to, they should be doing right now because they're not all lining up with a strong messaging plan. I mean, they're just going to say the word socialism over and over again as kind of a stand-in against the spending. Right, right. But it is not. But they're out there actually running on certain elements of things that were in the bill. And so they're just like boxed in by what Biden's doing right now.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, you know, at, at the Utah convention, they were apparently yelling the word communist at Mitt Romney. <laughs> because Mitt Romney's obviously a communist, right? Hey, let me read you a passage, okay, about, about the attack on language. Because we were, I was talking with uh, with Peter Wehner about this yesterday and the, the degradation of language. And somebody sent me this quote uh, about how during certain periods of time, language is essentially raped. Okay, so let me read you a passage. The regular meaning of words changed to fit the state of affairs. Insane risk was now bravery for an ally. Careful forethought was cowardice. Moderation was considered an excuse for being unmanly. Circumspection was an unwillingness to commit. Heedless attacks were termed manly behavior, and self-defense was a bland excuse for conspiracy. The one seeking extreme action was considered trustworthy. Anyone who spoke against him was suspicious. If you were a successful conspirator, you were smart, you were clever if you were discovered, I'm sorry, you were clever if you discovered a conspiracy, but if you made provisions against either situation, you risked dividing your party and living in fear of your opponents. It was simply the same whether you stopped someone from doing wrong or you discovered a new opportunity for or wrongdoing. You know what that's from? That's from the Greek historian Thucydides, who's writing about what happens during times of revolution, how language is distorted. And a classics professor from Wisconsin was listening to our discussion yesterday, and he sent it to me. And I actually, when I first saw it, I thought, this has got to be a hoax. I mean, it's too on point, right? It's one of those, those quotes that is just too perfect, but it really describes what's happening right now and I suppose it's not necessary to mention, um, remember how Greek democracy turned out. So um, these yeah, things. Yeah, Thucydides
1: really, Thucydides really <laughs> nailed it. Uh <laughs> but, a smart guy. But, but it's almost it's almost as though there is something universally yes. human about uh, about what's happening right now, which I'll just go back to why the French Village podcast is, or the French Village, a uh, French Village the show is so good. But it is, there is, um, you know, when one of the arguments, the central arguments JVL and I have on the uh, secret pod all the time is about whether we should be optimistic or pessimistic. And a lot of that comes down to people and what you think about people. And, um, you know, JVL takes a, uh, a more negative uh, view oftentimes than I do. And one of the reasons is that, um, you know, when I, I listen to people all the time say, I just don't know what to believe. You know, you get a, you get a sixth grade English teacher who says well you know i i didn't think that the qanon stuff was real it sounded silly but then my friend who's really smart sent me um you know sent me a bunch of stories and i don't know it looks like maybe there's some truth to it um mm. you know i just i think that there's a something that's happening to people is that there's so much information um, that they, they, I see this all the time in the focus groups. They're just kind of throwing up their hands, saying, I don't know what to believe. Right, right. And when you don't know what to believe, that's when the kind of post-truth nihilism sets in and you find yourself where someone who gets up and definitively says, this is true, um, and says it with that strong man authoritarian uh, way, you know, and, and, and the smartest person in your office repeats it, um, you know, you – decent person going about your job, not super engaged in politics says, okay, I guess that's true Um, because it's so much to sort through. And so I think I, I have a lot of, a deep part of my concern is how much misinformation and disinformation the Republican Party is shoveling at people because I can see it in people just not having the resources or the time to sort through it all. Um, and only only engaging in politics so much anyway that uh, you can just see how how this stuff can take hold in the absence of truth. You know, Charlie, when I was 21-ish, I wrote my um, – I was writing my honors thesis in college around – it was called Relativism and the Denigration of American Liberal Arts Education. Mm. I basically read Alan Bloom and decided mm. I was going to rewrite his book uh, and and – and but, the, but it was in vogue at the time, right? Everything about conservatism at the time, when I was coming up, uh, was, was about the idea of the left creating a constant sort of like a moral relativism, right? You remember this period oh, of time. Yeah.
0: No, I wrote similar things at the time.
1: When there a was lot, no such thing as truth. Right. Like it was like the idea back then was the left that everything was relative. Everything was about circumstance and that there was no objective truth that you could hold on to. And conservatives said that's not true. There is objective truth and we can know truth. And there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. And I liked that about conservatism, this idea that there was truth and you could know it um, and you could orient yourself. By it, because without a sense of truth, without there being things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong, it's very difficult to orient yourself around anything else. Um, but but this is what the but the Republican Party twenty years later has just decided that there's no truth
0: you know i remember that period when it, th- this was the beating heart of the intellectual conservative movement was to push back against deconstructionism and moral relativism and all of this and this was the argument and of course at that time we also said things like you know character matters but yes it was the knowable truth and the importance of truth and the you know the the defense of the enlightenment idea that truth was in fact discoverable as opposed to being you know strictly identity based and and that's that's been lost and we we also seeing the rejection of 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 classical liberalism on on the right uh, no it, it's all been turned completely on its head okay so l- let's get back to some more policy here for just for the second because I, I wanted to ask you about your piece that you had on the nbc think column because we've had a we've had a debate on on our end of the political spectrum our little corner on in our desert island corner or we're, we're in this you know we're, we're in the middle uh, you know some of us went into the wilderness and then found out it was a desert island and now we're in the corner of the desert island uh about how conservatives and republicans should be reacting to joe biden's massive spending increases now there are some folks who basically say hey we all ought to become democrats we ought to go along with it right go along. um i don't think you or i are in that category of, of saying it Tell me just walk me through a, a little bit uh, your argument you 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 write that the the Biden tax and spending proposals might make some of his republican uh, v- voters uncomfortable but they shouldn't be shocked uh so give me your sense of how you're reacting to all of this
1: Yeah i mean i, I guess i i knew what we were signing up for uh with Joe Biden which which is when we talked about Joe Biden or thought about him as a moderate compared to the rest of the field. Uh, it was it was really more about temperament uh, and somebody who was. Um, you know, rejecting some of the, I'm going to use a term, just, you know, the kind of wokeism of the left. Like, this is kind of an old guard Democrat who believes the government has this role to play in society. And, you know, he wants to spend on it. And he he campaigned on things like a $15 minimum wage, something I personally think is a bad policy idea. Um, But like, I knew that going into it. And the reason that we supported Joe Biden was because Donald Trump was a dangerous lunatic and that Joe Biden was not only i thought the best alternative to that dangerous lunatic in the democratic field but also one with the best chance of beating the dangerous lunatic and uh and 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 mission accomplished there uh despite what some republican voters may think uh and so you know he comes in with these kind of big bold ambitious spending things and i am you know the the fiscal hawk in me i can just feel it like panic over this, uh, this level of, of spending. Uh, but some other things have, have happened in the last five years that have shifted my perspective somewhat. So one is, is that Republicans entirely abandoned the high ground on debt and deficit. I mean, to the point where it's, it's, they have, they can't, they're not credible on this. Um, and so there's nobody who's going to make this case anyway in a credible way. Um, I guess, except for some, some of us. Um, and, and and I would say that a, a healthy Republican Party could be a both a, a restraining force on the Biden spending plan as well as a sharpening force. You know, if they were actually in there negotiating on policy, what they'd be doing is making these spending bills, um, you know, kind of reining them in and, and helping to to focus them. But but they're not really doing that hard work um, so far. And so Joe Biden is kind of going big, Um so anyway, I guess I, I guess my my main point in the in the article is kind of like a yeah, this is about what I expected. and and while I may not love elements of it, um, I'm also more I, I have become kind of open to seeing how this works. Like I would say yeah. one of the most interesting questions for me about politics now is that the two political parties are presenting radically different visions of how society should work. And I have watched the grievance-based nationalist populist uh, program for four years and really hated it. And so while I have been temper, I have been sort of temperamentally or constitutionally against a lot of what Democrats are doing right now, kind of just the old-fashioned big government, big spending Democrats, I'm kind of just watching it to see, I don't know, does this work? Um, like, is it like if, because if it, if it walks us into an inflationary uh, disaster, I'll be like, okay, I was I was right back, you know, eight years ago. This is a terrible idea, but if it brings in kind of a roaring twenties uh, where the economy is on fire and people are working, and over time we're able to pay down our debt, and you do raise you know taxes a little bit on on some corporate actors and 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 very wealthy. I'm sort of interested to see whether or not it works. No, like I, I consider I, myself kind I, of open-minded on this point.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm with you on all of this, and I also find myself, you know, caring about different things than I used to care about. I mean, I used to be much more passionate on fiscal issues, and. Now, I have to be quite honest, I, I I don't. So I am somewhat curious to see how this will play out. And I'm, I am willing to rethink this. Uh, when Dwight Eisenhower spent billions of dollars back in the 1950s on the interstate highway system, that that was a good thing. That was not socialism. That was not big government. That was the kind of thing that that conservatives and Republicans m- might might do. So some of these proposals really are not that 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 offensive. And, and, and as you write in your piece. Biden was not elected to be a center-right president. You know, Given the current trajectory of the Republican Party, there may not be a center-right option at the presidential level for some time. I think you're right about that, which is a shame for millions of voters and for the country writ large. Instead, he was elected to be normal, competent, and unthreatening. I guess I would be a little bit more positive than that. He was also a- elected to be... Um, to be empathetic, to be honorable, to restore uh, a sense of—I think of, uh, of of American meaning—and I think he's so far so good on all of that. So I am willing to kind of go. All right, I am making. I am a little bit nervous about some of the spending plans. I think they needed to be. They need to be dialed down or perhaps compromised. But I'm not viscerally offended, um, and I am. And I am willing to cut him some some slack on that. But that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily buying into. The next New Deal or the next great society. On the other hand, I'm looking at the Republicans and going, "You have the one idea: you cut taxes for the rich and for corporations. What was your idea number two? <laughs> there really wasn't anything, right? I mean, that was pretty much it. And we were supposed to not care about income inequality. We we're supposed to not care about the hollowing out of the middle class. We were supposed to not, you know, think that racism was a problem anymore." And now, as you look back and you go, the, this uh, the, the conservatism feels like it was played out, that it was stripped of any actual content or rele- re- relevance. And maybe if somebody has a better idea, eh, let's be open to listen to it.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, th- I think I should have probably, now that you're saying it, it feels like it's sort of missing from the piece, actually. But there's, it's not like somebody's offering a credible alternative. Right. Right. So for people like us, it would be one thing. I mean, look, I, I read the Republican Party platform in 2020, and <laughs> it was only a couple sentences, and it yeah. said, Whatever Donald Trump thinks is what we think. And that kind of they should be deeply humiliated by that. Um, and, and the fact that they're not, and the fact that there isn't a coherent, you can't just be against everything the Democrats are going to do. Right. You have to have an alternative and the idea that you want to repeal and replace Obamacare. Cool. Replace it with what? Tell me. And I think this is where, and, and this is just to bring up Paul Ryan again, the thing that was, I liked about Paul Ryan is that Paul Ryan had ideas, right? And he was able to, he could put them down on paper and say, here's a roadmap for who we want to be and how, what we want to do and how we want to get there. And and that is non-existent in today's Republican Party. So 15. if you want to complain about what the Democrats are doing, I, I, I could be up for that if you provide an alternative that is in, that in any way makes sense. I will just say the one thing that I I would like to see from Biden more because I think it's n- not because I think Republicans, you know, have earned the right to be compromised with, but because I think it's good for the country um, is I would like to see this infrastructure bill be entered into with like re- a real negotiation. I think I, so I really want them to not do it through reconciliation and and to 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 fight it out kind of the old fashioned way and to show the country I think it would be very good for Joe Biden to be able to demonstrate to the country that he can bring a consensus on this.
0: No, I, I agree with you on that, and we've talked about this before. You know, I mean, so you and I are admitting that we are rethinking some of our positions, open to ideas that we might have, uh, you know, been close-minded about in the past. And what's interesting about that is that, be you know, we'll, we'll be accused of, well, you're you're abandoning conservative principle, or because you're a squish. But wait. E- the entire Republican Party has been abandoning it, its principles. Um, you know, Look what is happening with Ted Cruz or, or Marco Rubio. Look at the kind of authoritarianism of, of, a, of a Josh Hawley. It is interesting that as long as you are willing to support Trump or go along with the big lie – you're given a basically a hall pass, a, an ideological hall pass to go anywhere you want, abandon any conservative principle whatsoever, um, and still be considered a conservative. However, if you are not willing to go along with the big lie, um you know, any sort of deviation is is some sort of apostasy because I and let me tell you what I'm thinking about. I wrote my newsletter to just some thoughts about how Republicans are kind of you know going soft on the idea of freedom, and uh, Sora Bomari, for people who aren't familiar, is the editorial page editor of Rupert Murdoch's New York Post. I mean, this is kind of an influential position. He tweeted out yesterday. He's one of these rad trads who thinks that the worst thing in the world is David French and stuff like that. But he's, he's really into sort of um, you know new, the new authoritarianism. He actually tweeted this out yesterday, and remember, he's 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 a conservative Republican in good standing these days. He wrote, I'm at peace with a Chinese-led 21st century. Late liberal America is too dumb and decadent to last as a superpower. Chinese civilization, especially if it recovers more of its Confucian roots, will pass, uh, will, will possess a great deal of natural virtue. Now, you know, this is one of those moments you step back and you go, you know, one thing about the new right, the Trumpian right is even though it's always you know talking about you know wrapping itself and defending um, you know freedom and the flag and America first and everything, a lot of it is about hating the actual America, the actual country. So when you have somebody like this who goes, Yeah, um, I think that we're we're just too dumb to lead, and, and I'm I'm okay with the genocidal totalitarian communist party of China dominating the next century how distorted does your view of the world have to be to take that position? And that is the editorial page editor of Rupert Murdoch's New York Post.
1: What is the natural virtue do you think that he's referring to?
0: Ooh, that's interesting. What do you think? I mean, is that a code for something?
1: I No, I mean, I think that it is, um, look, I think I don't know Sorab personally. He he blocked me on Twitter before I even kind of figured out who he was, um, so I'm not super familiar with his whole oeuvre. But um, my understanding is that he has sort of leapt from ideology to ideology. Um, in like in search of something. It seems like at some point he was like a uh, he was a big atheist and a big libertarian. I don't know. He's Tim. Tim has a good riff on it. Um, but at some point with someone like that, I guess maybe they just want someone to salute to. Like people who kind of love authoritarianism, they just just want someone to march behind and it's the person who's going to be the meanest to their enemies. Um, But it is a, he deleted it, but it got not before it got considerably passed around. Uh, But it is, it is a, it is a wild thing to say. And, and look, I actually think there's like a little bit of truth in the fact that we have become decadent um, and that we are, um, that we are, we are grappling with something as a country. But um, I'm quite confident the solution to that is to not give up and say, "Well, we'll just let China take over." Um, yeah. I think that that is one of the most dangerous things I've ever heard.
0: I think that that's a that's a reasonable position. Okay, so one last uh, word on on uh, uh, Liz Cheney. While you and I were speaking, uh, Nancy Pelosi's office put out a troll press conference, uh, press conference press release trolling um, that look looking like a it's it's looking like a want ad. And they're looking for a, quote, non-threatening female. (laughs) Seeking replacement for House Republican Conference chair. Word is out the House GOP leaders are looking to push Representative Liz Cheney from her post as House Republican Conference chair, their most senior woman in GOP leadership, for a litany of very Republican reasons. She won't lie. She isn't humble enough. She's like a girlfriend rooting for the wrong team and more. So what exactly are House GOP leaders looking for in a number three? Punchbowl AM got the scoop, and while it's not surprising, they want a woman who is not a threat to them. So here you have, uh, in in his effort to get back to talking about the issues and not personal attacks, Kevin McCarthy is uh, now leading the campaign to have you know more non-threatening females in power.
1: You know, God. we didn't even bring up this element of the of this, but like, there is something. W- Republicans have like, they're one of the least. De- they're just I, I can't remember what it was. They, they obviously they did elect a decent number of women, um, I, in in twenty twenty. Yeah. but but they're still like they haven't they have no leadership roles for women. This is the most high profile woman in their party, and they're going to kick her out. Uh, and I don't know, you you may have heard my riff on this, but do you know who Republicans have really been struggling with over the last uh, the last uh, half decade or so?
0: I've heard rumors.
1: Republican women, college educated Republican women in the suburbs. And so it just seems uh, like purging the most high profile woman for telling them uh, that the thing we all saw with our own eyes is true um, might be a bad well, move.
0: Could, could you explain to me how this would not be considered an example of cancel culture?
1: I mean, really. Is he, well, it's only canceling the- when the other side does it, Charlie. Come yeah. on. We know how this yeah. works.
0: Let's cancel Liz <laughs> Cheney. It's too easy. The, the, the lobs are just too high. They keep giving it to us. Sarah Longwell, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Appreciate it very, very much.
1: Thanks, Charlie. So fun.
0: And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.